Hey everybody, thanks for joining me this evening. I've got a great stream with one of your favorite guests and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So as many people have heard, we have a leak on our hands, highly classified documents talking about the war on our war in Ukraine and everything that's happening between Ukraine and Russia, the United States involvement, NATO involvement, what the real story is on the ground. There's been, it's been so hard to figure out what the truth is with so much of this war because both sides are spinning so hard. And weirdly enough, even though like every other war has been like basically live streamed at this point for everyone, we just don't seem to get very much information or at least very much reliable information on what's happening in Ukraine. So these documents definitely open up a window, but the way that they were presented is also very interested, interesting. They were supposedly linked through a Discord server, a Minecraft server, a bunch of gamers were supposed to be sharing them out. And so we're gonna be looking at how all of this shook out. My guest today is a contributing editor over at IM1776. He's a, somebody with military experience. Lafayette Lee, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thank you for having me on, I appreciate it. Absolutely, so we're gonna look at what these documents actually say, and then we're gonna delve deeper into where they came from and what we think about the narrative that is being uh, created around their leak. But before we do that, guys, let's hear from our sponsor. All right, guys, so there's a new movie coming out that I think you're gonna really wanna see. I was lucky enough to see a special sneak preview. It's called Nefarious. The best thing is that it's based on a book by the Blazes' very own Steve Dace. And Steve is really passionate about it. He was kind enough to have me come to an advanced screening. I'm sure you've seen the posters or maybe even the trailer, and it all looks great. It's kind of in between a horror movie and a psychological thriller. It's very much in the vein of C.S. Lewis. You know the book, The Screwtape Letters, of course. Steve calls it Interview with a Demon. A psychiatrist is called to a prison and he has to meet with a convicted killer who's about to be executed. The killer claims that he's a demon named Nefarious and of course the psychologist, he's an atheist, he doesn't believe any of the supernatural stuff, but he's got to decide, you know, is this guy insane? Is he pretending to be insane? Can he be executed for his heinous crimes? Obviously, I'm not going to give anything away, but let's just say that the psychiatrist is in way over his head. It's a supernatural thriller that's perfect for your friends who love scary movies, but also has a really important message. It's the kind of movie that you'll be thinking about long after you get out of the theater. Nefarious opens nationwide the weekend of April 14th, so make sure to mark the date and get your tickets now at whoisnefarious.com. That's whoisnefarious.com. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. Now, I think a lot of people suspected many of the things that we learned from this leak. I think a lot of the things that were revealed there were if you were paying attention, if you're familiar with the situation, many people could have predicted a lot of what we learned there. But we do wanna quickly go over some of those key revelations before we then move on to the, the narrative again being spun around the release of these documents. If you wanna get a full breakdown, my buddy Charlemagne did a great one in his channel. They spent like three hours, him and two of our other friends, Furious Pertinax and Raging Mandrel, they were on there breaking down basically every document, every slide that came out of this thing. So if you really wanna to get to the nitty gritty of all that stuff, you can check out his stream. But like I said, we're gonna just touch on that before we move on to kind of the narrative that the media is placing around this leak. 
So first off, let's talk about the nature of the leak. Now, from what I've seen, Lafayette, it looks like these are briefing slides of some kind that were printed off and then photographed and released during this leak. Right. It The leaks are going to be, we don't have a full, like we can't wrap our arms quite yet around the leaks. And part of this, and you brought it up before, I think it's important to remember is, this is being this is being conveyed to us from the media and this many of us grew up believing that the media is has an adversarial role you know connection with the u.s government with the intelligence community uh, this is just non-existent today and so i i've always approached this as what we're reading especially from outfits like the new york times and the wall street journal the information we're we're digesting here is going to be information that we are almost allowed to see Right. And so the leaks themselves, it seems what I've been able to ascertain from this is some of the leaks were, you know, this E3 writing out different bits of information, which he was able to get while he was working in these in these as a as a guardsman. And then there's actual photos of documents that appear that he took them out of a, a skiff, which is going to be, you know, where you're going to have this classified information and then took pictures of briefing slides and then some other documents as well that were marked with classification banners. And so it appears that it was kind of a both of those things. He was leaking information that he could recall maybe while he was doing his work. And then he was also actually taking photos outside of of these restricted areas. Yeah, and I think a really key part of that that you just said there that I want people to keep in mind throughout this discussion is what you're being allowed to see, right? Because what we're going to get, again, we're going to address what's in the leak first, and then we're going to talk about the nature of the leak and and kind of the narrative and everything around it. But what you're being allowed to see is being filtered through these mainstream media outlets. It's very clear, I think, that they worked hand-in-hand hand with the government. And so the question we'll be asking is why much of this was released and why the story uh, around its release, release is being the framed the way that it is. But remember, as we talk about these, we don't have confirmation on this stuff. We don't have, you know, the, there isn't any hard cooperation. And all of this is being filtered through the understanding that uh, th there is some level of the government's complicity inside this, uh, this leak itself because of the way they work with the American media. So that said, uh, some, some main takeaways. I think just some basic ones that most people would have expected, but we'll just go ahead and and confirm from some of the from some of the things we saw first looks like the casualties are worse for ukraine than most were letting on many people saying two to one some people kind of throwing out ridiculous numbers like seven to one that that seems insane i don't think that's the case but but very clearly the the media has been pushing this idea that ukraine was on the verge of victory throughout many parts of this conflict that russia was taking heavy and demoralizing uh casualties during this and that really it's only a matter of time before the attrition got to russia the numbers we see there it looks like that probably isn't the case we also see probably more significantly the number of russian air force versus the ukrainian uh air force obviously russians already have a vastly superior air force but it was held back by a lot of the anti-air that was provided by the west to ukraine it looks like Russia is still in possession of the vast majority of its air force as where Ukraine is bleeding aircraft, uh, many reports as much as 50% uh, of, of what's available to them. And as the Ukrainians 
exhaust their anti-air and other munitions, that Air Force come becomes more and more important. That Air Force disadvantage becomes uh, very important. And so uh, the the and then the final thing that I think was was the again something everyone probably knew if you're paying any attention, but it's nice to have some level of confirmation that there are NATO forces acting inside Ukraine, specifically the United States, among others. Special forces are on the ground. They, they are active in the area. Um, and so I think those there, there are other things, you know, U.S. spying on its allies, but nothing new about that. That's not a big revelation. Uh, but but I think those are kind of the, the big takeaways that, again, didn't, didn't change the game. A lot of people who are paying attention probably knew this but we do have some level of confirmation coming through these leaks. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think something to keep in mind as we, as we look at this is these, these leaks are highly, like they're coming about in an environment in which leaking has become a huge problem. And I think that when we look at the, the transition to the Trump presidency, you know, they averaged, I think it was the last, estimate, I heard it was about 104 high profile leaks that were actually investigated up from 34 on average, I think leaks, or maybe it was like in the 30 to 80, something like that. So during the Obama administration, so we've seen this atmosphere in which leaks in the past have been treated, you know, hand in glove with media narratives pushed against the former president. And so we're in this environment in which leaks were almost encouraged to some extent. And that these these highly embarrassing details that are now coming out are coming out in this same kind of environment. And so part of me wonders is how much of this is truly revelatory? How much of this is are there extra hands in the pot? Right. So if we have leaks that, have you know, we know that the Biden administration touted that in the beginning of the Ukraine war that they were using intelligence, like revealing their hand on intelligence in a way as an information war tool against the Russians. And so all of this is coming out in that same environment. And I think by holding on to that context is really important as we try to understand what these things actually say, what they mean. So let's go ahead and touch now on how this leak is at least supposedly happened. This is this is what the media is presenting to us. So when these leaks first came out, it was it was unclear where they came from and the media was talking about agents of Vladimir Putin and of course like you know Russian sympathizers inside the United States government or something there's all kinds of wild speculation about the red menace that would be running its way through uh kind of our, our intelligence apparatus or our military or some other aspect of the government that would allow these leaks and then out of nowhere we had uh you know this New York Times uh, just discovered in, in this, this is the narrative that they're kind of going with and kind of track down this leak. And apparently, according to this narrative, the leak came from a 21 year old, uh, like national air guardsman, uh, who, uh, and, and this is how the story's going, uh, basically like wanted to show off to his Minecraft, Minecraft discord server. Uh, you know, so Gamergate guys, you know, all they want to do is play video games. They got done destroying uh, feminism and now they're destroying, you know, the U.S. government, I guess. But but uh, this, so this in this gaming discord, um, the basically this guy's trying to get attention and he's just kind of dropping 
classified documents. He's dropping first. He's dropping knowledge, you know, about certain things. He's getting in arguments with people. No one's impressed or no one believes him. And so he starts, you know, uh, putting, you know, more uh, th these documents, these slides uh, into place so everybody can see them. And from there, this is kind of where this these uh, documents are supposed to have made it then online to traveled from the Minecraft Discord server to, uh, you know, to the wider Internet. And in fact, uh, the FBI, uh, who can't seem to find any other leakers of any kind, right? They're very bad at tracking down, you know, almost anyone uh, like, for instance, you know, whoever leaked the Dobbs decision or, uh, you know, any of the other things that, uh, you know, they, they need to find that are politically inconvenient for them. But this one was, you know, delivered right to their doorstep by the New York Times, I guess. And so they, you know, sent a team and in like an uh, you know, armored personnel carrier and they, uh, you know, grab, grab this guy at gunpoint um, and, and secured him. And this is supposed to be kind of where these documents came from. Now, as you said, he would have gone into this skiff. Maybe you could explain a little more about uh, what that means. Like what would this guy have had access to documents like this and what would he have had to go through to bring them to a random minecraft discord server yeah so in any of this kind of work you're going to have uh areas that are going to be restricted where you're going to be able to have access to certain documents or intelligence and that it's it's held in what's called a skiff so that's a sensitive compartmented information facility and these are highly restricted they have a lot of uh, access control points, things like that, to protect national secrets is, is what they're designed to do. Now, something that listeners should understand is that it's not just the intelligence community itself that has access to these things. It's going to be soldiers and sailors, Marines and airmen that have the, the correct um, clearances and then also accesses. And this is something that kind of gets lost in the conversation on this is that you can have a very high clearance and you can have limited access. It's needs to know, need to know, right? So if you're not working in a particular vertical within a within a given in intelligence specialty, you might not actually have access to the same kinds of things as somebody else, regardless of your of your clearance. What's what's something that we've learned about this leaker though is that this leaker, even though he was young, he was an E3, he was a guardsman. He was what they call a cyber transport systems journeyman. And so this is going to be an, an occupational specialty that works with a lot of information technology and communication systems. The closest example you could probably find that many listeners might understand would be somebody like Edward Snowden had access to a lot of these things. He was not an agent. He wasn't doing analysis or anything like that. He just had access to these things as almost like an IT specialist. This kid seems to fit that same kind of occupational specialty. So that said, yes, it is, you know, there's been a lot of speculation. And I don't think speculation's wrong because, like we've discussed, we're kind of dealing with a black box situation. So I think a healthy dose of skepticism is always good. But it is possible that this, this kid had access to at least what, what we've seen, right? Uh, because of his high level of clearance, but also because he likely had a lot of access. And so it appears that not only was he privy to some of these things, um, but that he also was able to get them. He was also able to get them, them printed out. And, and we don't know exactly if he did all this 
in Massachusetts. I've heard that he was training and doing other things at other military installations. So we don't know exactly where he obtained these things. Um, there should be a level of security at these places, but it is it is possible. And I think that's important to remember here is that it is possible that he he did all of this and acted completely alone and did that. That does not rule out other possibilities. Right. But it is possible. Now, what do you think about the media relationship here? You already mentioned that a little bit, but obviously the New York Times is in theory and we all know better here, but we'll, we'll play along with the, with the, the uh, story a little bit. In theory, the media is supposed to be holding the government account accountable in theory. The media should be chasing down these elites should be exposing everything they can about these documents should be asking why so much of this information was repeatedly denied or was spun heavily by government and other portions of the media to project a very particular version or view of the war in Ukraine. And yet it's not tracking down any of these leads. It's not deploying, you know, combat journalists, you know, embedding them in units to find out, you know, what, what the veracity of these documents are or verify any of the details. It's chasing down the leaker themselves, him, uh, himself. And not only are they chasing down the leaker, there's been a very particular smear campaign about the kind of person this is it's very clear that they don't just want this leak to be made public or made or that the, this leak to be linked to this person they want to build a particular narrative about the kind of person who would release these documents uh the you know firearm enthusiast is a word that the media used regularly i would hope so it's it's a military you know person but but they often uh, talked about his want for power, how he's a gamer, how basically trying to paint him as an incel. It felt like there was a very particular type of person that the media was trying to say was responsible for these leaks. No, that's exactly right. And I think that that's what is so disturbing about this is that, you know, we've been kind of coasting off of this uh, view of the American media, thanks to a lot of uh, a lot of major changes that took place in the intelligence community and the military following Vietnam, you know, and, and Watergate. So there's kind of been this rosy view that the media has, like I said before, this adversarial role <laughs> to play against the U.S. government and the intelligence community, hold them accountable, speak truth to power. What we're finding, though, is that that adversarial role is really weaponized against the American people, um, not against people in power. And that what you're seeing is, is that you know, when we talked about leaks before, leaks were weaponized against the prior administration. Um, these people in the media and people have to understand is that journalists that report on the national security state depend on having access. So you need to ask the question, if they are able to obtain this information from sources that they have within these institutions, do you think that if they were to threaten these institutions, by speaking truth to power that they would continue to have that access. I would argue no. And, and we've seen this, that the journalists that were involved in finding this kid, the journalists that reported on the stories, you know, there's a lot of familiar names. One of those is Shane Harris. He was somebody who was reporting on the Russian bounty story that we later learned was, was, was unfounded, um, might've been literally correct, but there was a narrative attached to that. And it was used to continue 
the war in Afghanistan and to kind of sabotage the prior administration's plans to pull out of Afghanistan. So you see, there's this thing that goes on with leaks. American people might, by the time it gets to us, the narrative has been formed. And you saw this here. One other thing I'll add here is that there was, it wasn't just the New York Times and Washington Post that were trying to identify this kid. It's also Bellingcat, which we are told is, you know, an independent organization um, that is, you know, it's based out of the Netherlands. Um, but if you actually look in the financials of this company, they are funded by defense contractors and that they receive money through NGOs and NGOs that have been alleged come from the U.S. government and the U.K. government. So right there, you see that there's this symbiotic relationship between these entities and that this, these lines are very blurred. So can we trust these things? And I think it was interesting that after we, you know, before even most Americans knew what was in these leaks, they already had a profile of, of this airman, you know, this yeah. E3. He's racist. Like you said, he's racist. He's gun toting. I mean, all of these things are, are radioactive identifiers. And you could see that the masses, these are the type of accounts or people that will have the Ukrainian flags in their bios that are kind of like what we joke is like always on the current thing. They, they responded, you know, accordingly. You know, immediately it was comments about the airmen, about, you know, insider threats from conservatives, from Trumpists. I mean, and so, you know, when you see this, you have to ask yourself, by the time it gets to us, does it even matter that we have facts? You know, I, I really I could see this happening because we've seen it play out so many times in the last 20 years that these that the media is is not really holding those encounter, you know, holding those in power accountable. They're acting as handmaidens to kind of grease the wheels for the interests of these institutions. And so we saw that where eventually, you know, that the facts of this case will become completely blurred that they'll be overwhelmed by a narrative. And by the end of this, there will be a consensus that is formed, right? And we already see certain places where these interests will align that have been longstanding priorities. And I think that those who are observing this and trying to have kind of a critical eye, pay attention to the consensus that comes about after this. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Again, we it's hard to know what the level of the veracity information coming out is, but the one thing that was made very clear from the beginning is what you should feel about the leaker. Uh, the media was was <clears throat> quick to pretend like it didn't matter uh, that there were special forces operating inside Ukraine, that there were NATO and uh, you know United States, UK, and many other special forces operating inside an area they were not supposed to be in, and were not supposed to be giving that kind of assistance. Uh, they downplayed many of the facts that were released there. But the one thing that was really important to know is that the guy who released them was, you know, racist, anti-Semitic. He liked guns. They're just trying to put a red baseball cap on him as, as quickly as possible. And you have to wonder, given the recent attempts to purge the military, if this is in the second way, right? Because we know that the uh, the vaccine requirements were initially used to purge a good chunk of uh, wrong thinkers, uh, possible Trump supporters, possible conservatives or right wingers out of the United States military. But now those vaccine requirements are kind of being relaxed and, uh, you know, it's getting hard for the military to meet certain uh, recruitment requirements as they're having a hard time filling certain positions. 
And so you wonder if there isn't the need to build this um, this narrative about a, the, the, the danger inside the military, that there's this fifth column of Trump supporters who are working with Russian, you know, Russians and others to kind of sabotage or, uh, you know, the Biden administration and might require some level of crackdown or some kind of increase in surveillance or uh, the ability of the authorities to uh, to surveil this kind of thing uh, based on uh, the fact that there's such a threat to national security. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I thought of that as well, because this is, you know, this kid, from what we heard from the media, right, no doubt some of the, the facts are true, but, um, you know, there's always the narrative attached to that. And the narrative reinforces longstanding priorities of the Biden administration to protect the military from from a group of people that they've identified as as extremists, as traitors. And and so this kid fits this profile almost like almost too perfectly. Right. And so you have this where now we have like a military, we have the question of, well, who should be serving in the military? And those who those who criticize, you know, the Biden administration's policies, who criticize our involvement in with this war in Ukraine, that that they're now associated more so with this kind of, like you said, this fifth column. So this is kind of, it's always questioning the loyalty of, of really like millions of Americans, but they've reduced that position down to this single airman who's 21 years old. You know, I, they might have a couple videos of him saying offensive things and firing, you know, an AR-15, but you know, all of these things are put together. And what you're going to see, though, is you're going to see that if you criticize the U.S. involvement in Ukraine, if you identify that, that the president has been lying to the American people for well over a year about what we're doing over there, where we're going with this, you know, that now you are, are being associated with uh, this traitorous element, right? And I mean, the, the question that just burns <laughs> that no one seems willing to talk about in the media is what does this mean about our consent in this in this war? I mean, you look at the war powers resolution. I mean, all the if the if these things are true, then what does that say about our involvement in Ukraine? What does that say about our consent? Those are legitimate questions. Those would have been entertained in any other time period. But the focus is all on, you know, loyalty to the Biden administration, which is identified as loyalty to America. And I mean, it's just a very dangerous, toxic situation where dissent will be crushed. And imagine if you're in the military right now and you do not feel comfortable with this. You know, they talk about they, they've been critical of this kid. And I don't identify him necessarily as a traditional whistleblower. But the thing is, is if they want whistleblowers to come forward, what do you do if you say that, you know, the United States is now involving itself in a, in a hot war, which has not had the American people have had no consent on this. They've been kept in the dark the entire time. What do you say to a whistleblower who says, well, it appears that the Biden administration has been lying throughout this conflict? I mean, do they feel like they're going to be emboldened to come forward and identify themselves as somebody who dissents from the party line on this? And I would say no. I mean, in a lot of ways, whether this airman is, you know, in, entirely guilty and acted completely alone in this, I mean, it, it it's going to have a chilling effect on people who feel critical or they might be skeptical about some of these policies that the Biden administration has been pursuing completely independently. Especially when you can see how easy it is to smear someone like this, right? I mean, who knows? But this 
guy could have been completely apolitical. He could have had no interest in any of this stuff, could have had outside of just knowing something other people don't know if we're kind of buying the narrative as it is now. He you know, may not have had any particular political allegiance, but, you know, gamer, he's been on Xbox Live at some point, might have said a gamer word at some point. Now there's evidence of his his extreme radicalization, right? And all of a sudden... This guy is a is a grossly political actor whose life can be destroyed. And if that can happen to him when he had no political interest or agenda, that could easily happen to someone else who steps forward. All you have to do is show that they, too, hold some of the bad opinions or have said some of the wrong things. And anything they have of credible, you know, credibility there will be destroyed. Their sources won't matter because the only thing that really matters is whether you're the right or wrong kind of guy. If you smell like a chud, then any kind of uh, leaks that you provide are only in service to the enemy. They're only a a, a mark of, uh, you know, uh, like you said, being a traitor to the Biden administration and therefore a traitor to the United States. Exactly right. And I mean, we're going to see this, I think, play out is that it's going to be very difficult. It's already difficult as it is to dissent within American culture, within the broader society. But imagine being in these institutions in which you're doing the heavy lifting for this regime. Um, how comfortable are you going to be coming forward and being identified with somebody who's been smeared like this airman, right? Um, before any of the facts have really been established, before he's been given a hearing, you know, and you're going to find yourself, I mean, we've already seen that the Biden administration has expressed interest in reviewing all of the online activities of people that serve in the Biden administration. I mean, we saw in the military that they were already, you know, with the stand down that they were going to be looking at all the social media activity of these incoming soldiers and airmen and Marines. We're seeing a lot more of that. The, the administration has also expressed interest in being able to secure online apps and online platforms and make sure that it can protect itself and protect our national security interest. So if you're somebody who let's say that you you do see something wrong, that you do see that there have been lies that have been told, you, you find yourself in a situation where you would be a traditional whistleblower, how comfortable are you going to be making those moves? You know, knowing that your entire life will be opened up, especially your online access and your online activities. I mean, the Twitter files have shown us all sorts of things on how much surveillance there is I mean, I think you're going to see a real problem where not only are the retention issues and the re and the recruitment issues are going to be a lot more pronounced in coming years, but the integrity of the people that serve is going to continue to deteriorate because this is not a place where traditional values and even things like being honest are as important as being loyal. And it's not even loyal to the country that you think you're serving. It, it seems to always flow in the direction of being loyal to Biden and his regime. And, you know, scary enough, that's what you've always got to do if you eventually intend to use the military on your own people, right? Like, that's the first step to making sure that the Praetorian Guard is, is loyal to you and not, you know, the, the, the people in general, not working on behalf of the people, is to make sure to make them feel othered, uh, to make sure that they are drawn from sources that are not traditionally like Heartland America or feel like the middle of America is somehow uh, evil and, and working against them and willing to, to turn on the country at a given moment, you need to paint vast swaths of uh, kind of uh, uh, traditional America 
as uh, uniquely against what it means to be American now so that you can kind of separate and justify uh, loyalty only to the administration and the progressive movement as a military, not to the general country, the general population that you're sworn to defend. Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly right. Another problem that we're going to see, I think, in coming years is that we've seen that that the American media is more than comfortable being completely complicit with the agenda and priorities of a left-wing government, right? I think you would see a difference, obviously, if this was maybe President Trump returning to office. But you see that the media has no qualms in in supporting and furthering the interests of a Democrat president. And this gets to be very difficult and dangerous as well, is that, you know, what if an intelligence service is limited by the Constitution, uh, you know, there's for, the Fourth Amendment, hopefully. And we've seen that, you know, obviously deteriorate in recent years. Mm. But there are certain protections that still exist that can you can still bring in a court of law. But that these same restrictions don't exist for journalists. They don't exist for, quote unquote, researchers and for entities like Bellingcat. And so if you're if the enemy is seen by the administration, if the enemy is seen by journalists who identify solely with the interests of the administration, you know, the enemy is going to be in Heartland America. The enemy is your average American citizen. These same tools that these intelligence services can they they rely on the media to do their work, whether it's identifying a problem, whether it's highlighting somebody who has what they determine to be extremist views, you're, you know, the symbiotic relationship is going to continue forward. It's going to work together. I mean, we did see that with January 6th in which people that didn't even walk into the Capitol were being identified by journalists and then their information was being sent over to the FBI. So, you know, this is just another step in the same progression that we have been watching unfold for the last decade. And it's really troubling. You know, for those of us who don't, we maybe, you know, in the past we could say, well, I'm not necessarily breaking the law here. I just have different opinions. You know, I can't, the FBI is not going to have a problem with me necessarily, but journalists will have a problem with you and that they can identify you and they can see you as a threat and they can be surveilling you. And so if the time comes where you're in a situation in which things are moving fast, can you really rely on, on the old protections that would have protected you from a, a tyrannical government? And, and that this is the real new terrain that we're we're in now is that we're not just dealing, this is not just private sector, public sector. This is an entity that blurs both of those spheres. They occupy both. And, and so this is why I think it's so important. I love what you do, Aaron, is talking about power because power, there's a soft power element here and it was used in this case. And we should be very careful about how we look at this problem, that it's not solely hard power. This is soft power, hard power together. Yeah, I think that's so important. And and look, let, I'm just talking to the conservatives who watch this, kind of your standard rocked rib GOP mainstream people who end up watching this. I just want to I just want to say I I understand the desire to believe that the Constitution is still a document that restricts your government and still guarantees you rights but you really need to hear what Lafayette just said to you. Okay. So there are some levels at which kind of the vestigial parts of, you know, the, or the, the remaining parts of the constitution that are still somewhat respected 
do require the government to find ways around and do things that to do the things they want to do, but they are finding the ways around. Okay. Governments always want to centralize power always wants to gather more power itself and bring it under one central control. And so that means the government will adapt and overcome in order to work its way around the amendments. The bill of rights are not magic. The constitution is not a magical spell. They're words on paper. And if they're not enforced by the people, if they're not enforced and respected by the government, then they don't mean anything. And the government has found a way around your constitutional rights and its way around your constitutional rights is its marriage to the private sector. But because conservatives and libertarians are so married to this idea of a public private distinction that protects them from big government, they have a hard time seeing this. But just like Lafayette said, we know for a fact that the government uses social media sites, uses journalists, uses large corporations to subvert the constitution, to ignore explicit protections in places like the first and fourth amendment. We know this, this is not speculation. They do it, they do it all the time. They do it for a particular purpose because it allows them to avoid any of the messy court uh, you know, issues that they would run into, any of the legal issues they would run into if they did it directly. But they have this power. Don't lie to yourselves about the kind of power they have. Yeah, the journalist can't put you in a gulag. All he can do is make sure that you lose your job, that you can never use a bank again, that none of your friends will ever talk to you again, that your wife will divorce and your kids will never look at you again. But other than that, you're totally free, right? And increasingly, the journalist can put you in a gulag. I mean, look at Douglas Mackey. Look at what look at what's happening to free speech in this country. Look at what's happening to due process and your ability to have any kind of protection from the government searching you, knowing everything about you and leveraging that against you. Just because they don't do it explicitly through the government doesn't mean it's not happening. Do not be fooled by this public private distinction. Those lines are not there anymore if they ever were. And you cannot treat the government and these corporations that work hand in hand with them, government and journalists that work hand in hand together to destroy their progressive enemies or their enemies of progressivism. You cannot treat them as separate entities. They work together. They collude. They are one unified force. It might be a oligarchy. It might be a, uh, it might be a distributed force, but it's still a force working for one particular purpose. And you have to understand that. Uh, but that said, um, Lafayette, you said something interesting that I think we could maybe touch on real quick. You said many of this, much of this is what they want us to see. They, what they want us to know. Now, like we said at the beginning, much of this is stuff that if you've been paying attention, you could have already figured out. Like we already knew that special forces were going to be in there from NATO units. We already knew that the Ukraine was not performing the way that the media was saying that they were. We already knew that this kind of aircraft imbalance and other issues in here. But why would the government want us to know this now? Is this just them kind of making the best of a bad situation with this information out there? Or is there some kind of advantage in slowly leaking to people that certain aspects of this war are not what they first appeared? 
I mean, I I haven't come to a, I'll be honest, I've not come to a firm conclusion on how, what I think is, is what I think Uncle Sam is doing here. But I do think that we need to keep in mind that this, if it were possible that that these that these leaks were known in advance, or that there were other there are other details that we're not privy to that show that that this furthers an agenda. I mean, this wouldn't be the first time, and that's what I think we always need to have that self that healthy skepticism as we look at these things, because you're not you're you're dealing with an entity that has used the power of information war to great effect many times in the past, especially when it comes to war. Is that we've been involved in many wars you know, from the past hundred, hundred years where the media journalists have been at the tip of that spear and that, you know, revelations about maybe enemy intentions or revelations about, you know, our, our own, our own movements have been used that appear to be damaging or embarrassing to the government, but have actually been used in a cynical way and in a way to further an agenda. I mean, it's obvious to anybody who's been watching this war for the last year that the US government has wanted to be in a war with Russia. And there has been a lot of talking around that, you know, Biden has reassured us that there would be no US troops there. Obviously, if there are US troops in that area, that would that could trigger something like the war powers resolution. So, you know, people have been watching this and paying close attention to make sure that, you know, that we're, you know, that we're just playing a you know, lend-lease type role like we did in World War II. But as you recall, you know, we have, we entered World War II. Right. You know, and so, like you said, this is very important to remember is that we're not dealing, we're dealing with an entity that has used this in, in, in a surreptitious way before. And so, you know, I return to this, that we're dealing with a black box situation. If we, if we can't trust journalists and we can't really necessarily trust the, the the U.S. security state, you know, what we're getting and what we're seeing, you have to be very skeptical. Like, am I, what am I seeing out of this? I mean, there's a tranche of, of classified documents in this. You know, what is the media talking about the most? And what is, what are they not talking about? Those are the kinds of questions we should be asking ourselves as we look at this situation and we try to understand, like, where are we moving with this? And, I mean, we do know that, you know, the intel community was was touting how much they used a lot of the intelligence being very transparent, as they put it, um, in the beginning of this to to further, you know, to per, you know help Ukraine and to undermine the morale of, of, of Russian soldiers. You know, we, we've heard this. So if we look at the journalists that are reporting on this now and we see what they are, what they find to be important, I, I think you can safely assume that it's what the U.S. government uh, believes is important, what they want you to see. Yeah, I think it's really interesting some of the timing of this too, because we're also seeing simultaneously while this happened, a lot of people revising their sunny, optimistic looks at this war. You know, early on, the story from the Biden administration was, we're going to tank the ruble. You know, we're going to destroy this currency. We're going to destroy. Uh, we're going to isolate Russia with sanctions. We're going to make sure that uh, their currency is worthless and they have no supplies and we're just going to strangle them out. And there's very much this, you know, uh, very excited Charlie Wilson's war style, you know, bleed Russia dry. We'll, we'll fight them to the last Ukrainian and make sure that there's just basically no opposition to NATO hegemony uh, left. There's just no option to that. 
what we've seen, of course, now is the United States in a much more dire financial situation uh, that, you know, we, we've seen, obviously, the, uh, the gas prices, uh, supply chain issues, everything that followed in the wake of the Ukraine war that was already on its way to being in a difficult situation, only exacerbated. We're still looking at the possibility of some of those second and third order effects that'll come from lack of production of things like fertilizer, where we still haven't seen what the full uh, impact of that will be. And now we're seeing the problem of, uh, you know, possible de-dollarization where these different uh, countries are talking about trading in different dollars, abandoning the petrodollar uh, and really putting the United States, who's already had a couple of bank runs here recently, on some pretty dire footing. And so you have to wonder if there isn't some, I don't know, it's, it, it seems like the, this is kind of the beauty of the thing, I guess, at some points. The cathedral, it doesn't, it doesn't all, it's not just one unified whole all the time. It's a, it's this decentralized network. And so different parts of the ship trying to turn themselves at different times. And so you have some people who are still hardline. We gotta be in Ukraine. This is the, this is the deal no matter what. But it feels like some parts of the administration or some parts of the narrative might be saying maybe getting out while we can is good and letting people know that things aren't as rosy will make it easier to, for us to just disinvest from this when we eventually need to. Of course, all of that is wild speculation, but it just seems like a lot of this stuff is uh, happening simultaneously in a very interesting way. I, I agree. I've also entertained that thought as well. And I, I think what what's the tell if that is true what's the tell for me is that you know they found the scapegoat uh, not only russia as you know russians are bad and that you know putin's a horrible person and and so on and so forth but also that you know that this airman who embodies you know for the left and embody for the, the establishment really embodies kind of the the problem which is you know these 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 backward reactionary conservative types that might be a little bit reluctant on this situation that might not be fully supportive of everything that Biden has done with the Ukraine war, you know, they're the problem. And if, and if we have to pull back, it was probably because of them, you know? And so these kinds of things, this is where usually I, you know, somebody who's, I've been watching these, these wars for 20 years now, and you, you see that usually when, when we start to falter or we haven't, we need to make a pivot there's always going to be a, a useful scapegoat. And so if it is true that we are pivoting, I mean, you now have the, the perfect scapegoat. I mean, you can go on Twitter and see how many times people are talking about how this airman is really kind of, he's a, he's a cutout for millions of Americans in the country. He's a cutout for President Trump. I mean, whoever the villain is, but it's, it's going to be seen as this is an adversary, an oppositional force that has undermined our efforts. That always is the tell for me that if we are going to do a pivot, well, now we have the scapegoat and that seems to be the pattern. Yeah, I think it's really important to note that the the media narrative is key here. And one of the reasons the progressives are so far ahead of this, one of the things thing reasons that the cathedral is good at what it does is that there is just never nothing. Nothing's ever left on the table. Even a loss turns into some kind of propaganda win. And so if you have to step back from a project, if you have to step back from uh, some kind of foreign policy adventurism, if you have to take an L in one way, make sure that you have a way to transition that energy into some kind of domestic victory. 
And so this kind of frame manipulation allows that. And once again, of course, it falls on the shoulder of gamers. Everywhere our people are oppressed, everywhere they cry out for freedom, all they wanted to do is game. And yet they are once again in the crosshairs of the media. All right, guys. Well, we're going to move over to the questions of the people here real quick. We got some super chats. But before we do that, Lafayette, can you let people know where they can find your excellent work? Absolutely. So um, uh, like Aaron said, I'm, I'm with IM1776. So I'm a contributing editor over there. We have uh, several stories coming out. We have some that we just, I retweeted one about Ukraine earlier, uh, written by Sam Finley. Um, you can also find me on my Substack is ruins.substack.com. And I'm on Twitter at partisan underscore O. Absolutely, guys. All right, let's go ahead and check out the questions here. Paladin YYZ for $25. Thank you very much. Your last video, Permanent Revolution in the Total State, was uh, such a perfectly distilled recap of the mechanics of power and ideology. You're truly a ta uh, talented, uh, not sure, Quasar in this space. Well, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. I try to, I try to pull these things together. You know, we're in a space... A lot of you guys have been here from the beginning and I appreciate you. You're it's awesome to have built this community the way that we have, uh, especially the way everything started, but there are many people who are just unaware of some of the topics we've talked about and some of the mechanics that we've talked about and Bertrand juvenile is somebody who I've talked about multiple times, but I never got to talk about his high, low versus middle aspect, particularly in like a video. So I'm always looking for those opportunities to go back and kind of bring the things that we talked about before to the new audience while also giving you guys kind of something that we didn't go over before, kind of bringing another piece of the puzzle together. And a lot of people liked that video. So thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that's working for people. Uh, it's, it's, it's an honor to be able to do this guys. Really. It's, it's, it's amazing every day that I, that people want to hear me talk about this stuff. So uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it um creeper weirdo here for two dollars so you guys are saying that this whole thing glows yes glows in the dark as you would expect uh let's see here we've got uh charby xu for five dollars uh what do you think of the talk about de-dollarization do you think the ukraine conflict could lead to uh, eventual de-dollarization love your show or and well thank you very much man and yeah we kind of talked about that a little bit um obviously but uh yeah de-dollarization is obviously very dangerous for the united states very dangerous for the wider western empire um if that happens then you really are looking at the possibility of a multipolar world emerging once again right now all of our economies run on cheap energy and the ability to have this flow of it kind of throughout the system and any disruption to the United States' ability to kind of leverage that into basically a printing press for money disrupts a lot of what kind of our regime wants to do. I mean, there are guys who come on here who are way more uh, sound on fiscal policy. I'm 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 just a fiscal policy enjoyer. I am not a I'm not an expert of any kind. Uh, but of course, I've had many people like Radical Liberation, Liberation and Black Horse and uh, uh, and others come on and explain to you kind of the significance of that and so i think that is a very real threat to the administration's really th uh real threat to kind of the wider uh project 
Uh, progressives need a lot of this to work simultaneously, guys. If you're looking for a white pill today, uh, remember that um, a large amount of this has to work simultaneously for the left to kind of keep doing what they're doing. They're, they're fundamentally writing checks they can never uh, properly pay for. And so they're, they're floating a lot of this out into the ether, hoping that no one ever once just pulls one brick kind of out of the, the tower. And uh, it will happen uh, eventually. Um, the, th the ride down probably won't be too fun for anybody. Uh, but this thing is not immortal. You can't just keep doing th that which you can't go on won't. And uh, these, these people can't continue uh, to fabricate money and, and power and ideology uh, and in denial of reality forever. Eventually there, there does come a cost for that. Um, Paladin YYZ for $25. Are there no attorneys able to represent these cases? Well, that's a really good point. Uh, because as you might be aware or might not be aware, there has been a very uh, concerted effort by different uh, organizations, bar associations, illegal people in the legal profession, uh, uh, actual, uh, legal, uh, actual uh, government entities to punish people who not only have worked for, say, the Trump administration, but people who have defended the Trump administration or lent their legal opinions to the Trump administration. And so I think there are many attorneys out there who kind of catch the way the winds are blowing and know that putting themselves, you know, used to be that if you got a high profile case defending somebody against the government, that could make your career. But I think today, many people know that would break their career if they put themselves between one of these guys and the state. Now, there are still people out there doing it, and that does should give them a certain amount of respect. They should be, uh, uh, you should appreciate these people who are putting it on the line to defend, defend people like Doug Mackey and others who are just wildly unpopular and have no support in any of the halls of power, but just de deserve a legal defense. And so the people who are still putting themselves in that position should uh, receive your your respect and support. And there are people building, you know, illegal movements and funds to help defend these people, but there are difficulties with that. It's obvious that the government is willing to go after and private organizations like GoFundMe and stuff are willing to go after funds when you build them up to uh, kind of protect people who are out of favor with the regime. Uh, and so there are many barriers to overcome, but one of the things that the right has to do is build up legal defense. It has to build up the ability to, to do lawfare. Uh, if it can't do that, then it's in serious trouble. Uh, Thuggo here for $5. The fact that they lie about, uh, about with zero consideration, lie about this with zero consideration shows a low level of respect to the people. Is there anything they wouldn't do? Uh, no, <laughs> sorry. That's, that's uh, that one, unfortunately, is far too easy uh, to answer. Uh, but no, uh, there, there is uh, to no level, no level to which they would not stoop. Um, and uh, they do hold uh, the people in the deepest contempt. Uh, and you should not expect that to change anytime uh, soon. Uh, sorry, I ran through all those real quick. Did you have anything you wanted to jump in there, Lafayette, on any of those questions? I just kind of ran over you there. Yeah, no, I, I liked what you said about the white pill, and I know that we all need that. Um, you know, the, I think you're right. We are entering into a multipolar world, and um, it can seem like the world is ending for us. And in, in many ways, an old world is ending, but a new one's beginning. And I think for those that are listening, it's important to remember that, you know, 
the the globalization that we all kind of grew up with is is changing forever and that this puts stress on these elites and these institutions in ways we can hardly comprehend i think we're going to see a rise of regional orders and i think we're going to see a lot of opportunity out there for us to seize uh, for us to have a better life uh, for us to have a more accountable uh, uh state and so i think that in a lot of ways is to even though this always feels like a runaway train you have to understand that those who that view view you as the problem as the enemy uh, they they aren't going to be able to to be continue this sort of a thing forever that they have certain stresses and strains that are is going to limit what they can do and i think we have to take that into consideration as we kind of view these situations like the war in ukraine which we have absolutely no consent over we have no idea where that's going to go it's very likely that if this gets even hotter that they're going to pull on you know, the deplorable crowd to come and do the heavy lifting on something like that. But I, I just think to keep that in mind. And uh, I, th I think that this can always, there's always a silver lining to things. And I think that we can't forget to see that here. Yeah, I, I think that's a good encouragement because, you know, you, it, like you said, it's scary to see things end. But if they're bad things or things that have been become decrepit, that have been are being used by bad people to harm you and yours, uh, then even if it's a, a moment of uncertainty, you shouldn't fear it because the change brings, you know, with the end of something, the change brings something new. So, you know, ride the tiger out there, guys. Uh, you know, uh, you this too will pass and, and the opportunity for something better to arise is out there on the horizon. All right, guys. Well, thank you all for coming by. I want to uh, thank Lafayette Lee for coming on. Always a great time uh having a discussion with him make sure that you're checking out all of his stuff if this is your first time on this channel please make sure you go ahead and subscribe and of course if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts you can go ahead and subscribe to the oren mcintyre show on all your favorite podcast platforms when you do that please go ahead and leave that rating and review i know it feels small it's not a big deal but it actually does make a huge difference when it comes to the algorithms there thanks for coming on guys and as always we'll talk to you next time